Thank you, Jerome. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, I just want to start out with some good news before I get started. Jesus Christ still reigns. He defeated death, rose three days from the grave, and He's still alive today. Good news right there. Well, this morning, for those of you who don't know, my name is Jeff Adair. I get to be the youth minister here at Heartland. And that's a great title, but it's also very humbling to stand in front of you here this morning to preach a lesson uh, about the gospel that not only saved my life, but millions of other people who have come before us. And, you know, the past few weeks, Brother John Turner has been preaching about uh, forgiveness, reconciliation. We had Dr. Hufford come in and teach us about following Christ. And as you can see, the title of the lesson today is Redemption. And uh, God has put that subject on my heart. And, you know, I was having a conversation earlier last week with one of the deacons, Brother Justin Mann. And uh, I told him I was working on my sermon. And he said, well, man, can I get a sneak peek or is it a secret? I said, well, I'm going to talk about suffering from the book of Job. There's a couple of seconds of silence. He goes, well, I can't wait to talk about suffering. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. So as you can see, I changed it up. I'm glad, Lindsay, you were able to talk Justin into coming this morning. Or it might have been Hank. I don't know who talked about that this morning. But redemption, I want to talk about that this morning. Now, the book of Job is the 18th book in the Old Testament. It's uh, the beginning of what is called the wisdom books or the poetry books. But it includes Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Songs of Solomon. Now, the author and date have been debated for a very long time. But today, I hope you get the entire message of the book taken away. So, the human condition of suffering is a very powerful one. One that is often goes untapped. No person who has lived or is living will ever be exempt from difficult or trying times. The power of suffering for a person comes through perseverance, endurance, and joy. You know, for a lot of us, that kind of remains inside of us, you know, through the seasons of life. And sometimes we submit to the pain and instead of giving it up to God. And we sort of blame God for it. Or we start to worry about stuff that we can't control. So the story of Job starts off with a brief description of the man and a little bit about his character. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So we find out that Job is blameless and upright, which were the same words used to describe Noah and Abraham. Now, this doesn't mean that Job was sinless, as we will see here in a bit, but he was spiritually and morally upright. So he says he would go and sacrifice offerings to the Lord for, for his children that may have sinned. I mean, as Job, man, Job really cared about his family. You know, he'd been blessed by God because of it. He had numerous livestock, ten children, large number of servants, and was the greatest man among all people of the east, which was the land directly east of the Dead Sea. So from there, we're moved from the earthly realm to the heavenly realm in a conversation between God and Satan concerning Job. And it starts in verse 6. It says that the angels of the Lord came to Satan, or came to the Lord, and Satan also came with him. And God addresses Satan in verse 7. He says, where have you come from? And Satan answers with, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Now, to me, that sounds a little familiar, like a snake or a serpent. 
Then God brings Job to the attention of Satan by asking, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. What an awesome thing to hear. Amen. You know, God telling Satan how, how much he loves and pays attention to his kids and his children. It stands because before Satan basically bragging on you. Now, Satan responds by asking a question. It says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan, standing in front of the creator of the universe, saying that the only reason Job is so righteous because God has blessed him so much and provided protection in the hedge around him. Satan says if that were all gone, Job wouldn't praise him. That Job's righteousness is self-serving. You know, sometimes it's easy we can look at somebody and go, oh, I bet you they, they have it all. They're so good, they have multiple cars, lots of land, big house. But I wonder if that were all gone, would they still praise God the same way? God gives Satan permission to test you, but with limitations or a leash. He says, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then from verses 13 through 19, Satan begins this test by having his livestock and servants killed. Then his entire family is in one house, and a mighty wind came through and collapsed onto them, killing them all. So how does Job respond? Verses 20 and 21, he says, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And he goes on to say that Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. God had everything taken from him. And he still worshipped God and praised him. He said, Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I know that's got to be tough. I know it would be tough for me. Now, after this first test, Satan's got to feel a little defeated, right? Still praising God, even after he's taken all away. But... He's remains silent up until he loses his children. And then he shaves his head and tears his robe, which were signs of mourning or grief back then. Praising God after all of that. Now, in chapter 2, we find Job getting tested again. It's an almost identical conversation between God and Satan. But they, just Satan tells God that, well, Job's still praising him because he still has his health. Job is then afflicted with sores, all over his body, literally from the soles of his feet to the tops of his head. And then he starts to rub a piece of broken pottery over his body while sitting in ashes. I mean, this got bad very, very fast. And we're only in the second chapter. But it gets worse. His wife is used by Satan to tempt him to curse God and die. Now that sounds familiar again, doesn't it? That sounds like a serpent or a snake, too. To me. Now, Job again praises God by saying, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You know, how profound a statement. This man has everything taken from him. And his own wife is against him, it seems like. But he says that, how can we accept good and not bad from God? Some versions say evil, and some say bad, and some say adversity. But I think we can all agree what Job's trying to say here. Why is it so easy for us to praise God when things are going great, but... 
The second they don't seem to be going so great, we can forget or blame him for it. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We should be finding joy in suffering because of what it produces. Perseverance. Character, hope. Now Job's friends come and they're going to try to console him. You know, that's a great thing to have a good group of friends to come and console you when things are going wrong. And this, when I was reading this, it kind of reminded me of a, an old preacher joke story thing. You know, whenever you become a minister, they give you a book of just preacher stories that you go through. So, it says, a man falls into a hole and couldn't find a way out. Doctor walks by and the man cries out, hey, could you help me? I'm trapped down here. Doctor writes him a prescription, tosses it down the hole, and moves on. Then the therapist comes along. The man shouts up, Doctor, I'm, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? Doctor listens to him for, for an hour, writes a bill, throws it down the hole, and then leaves. Then his friend walks by. The guy in the hole says, Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. The guy goes, Wait, what are you, You're stupid. What are you doing down here? And now we're both down here. The friend says, Yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. God has brought us all through things in our lives so that we can be there for those going through the same pain. I believe that's what the friends came to do to console him in his time of need. Now, when they saw him, they didn't recognize him because literally his sores covered. Remember, he's been scraping his body. Terrible. So when they saw him, they tore their robes as well, sprinkled the dust on their head, and they sat in silence with him for seven days and seven nights. And that's dedication. That's really good friends to have. And then, beginning in chapter 3 and going till chapter 38, the story follows Job and his friends having conversations, and it's kind of like a soliloquy of poetry. Now, I am not educated by any means to tell you or spell soliloquy, but I know what it is. But his friends, they, they start cursing the, Job starts cursing the day he was born to his friends. He's calling out to God, why was I born if you have made me go through all of this? He says, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, not quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Job is upset. He is suffering real bad right now. Does anybody help someone grieving? And this is kind of similar to what they've said. I wonder if anybody here today feels that way. No, I don't know if I can ever smile again. I know that most of us could cite examples from our own personal lives. Unfaithfulness, depression, addiction, abuse. When we're down in a hole so far that we thought we would never get out of it. You know, as Christians, how should we react? What should we say we do? When we're treated unfairly, when life doesn't seem to be treating us the right way. I want to give you three things that might help you this week. I hope they help you. Number one is, never under any circumstance give up faith in God and in His power. You know, suffering is just one vehicle that allows us an opportunity to display the power of God in our lives by how we react. If we respond to our suffering with undeterred faith, joy, and endurance, 
And we show the power of the Holy Spirit as we are comforted and given strength. We are providing a testimony to those people in our circle of influence of our undying devotion to God. You know, the Apostle Paul planted many churches. And one was in Thessalonica. Man, i got to slow down. He warned them that persecution would soon follow, and it did. Now, Christians in Thessalonica were hated for many reasons. They didn't worship idols. They didn't make pilgrimages to temples, pagan gods, so they didn't buy trinkets and everything else. They weren't very good with the local economy. And when disasters would happen, they would be blamed because they didn't pray to the certain god that was supposed to protect them or that caused that disaster. So they were literally between a rock and a hard place. But in his first letter to him, he writes in chapters 5, verses 16 through 19, to be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Paul is writing to encourage this body of believers to stay faithful in suffering. The focus is joy, prayer, gratefulness, and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Why? Because the more they suffer persecution for just being believers of Christ, and the community around them wanted them to give up their faith, they would be exposed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like you guys are being exposed to the power of the Holy Spirit now. Being on stage in front of this many people, not in my wheelhouse. I am completely out of my comfort zone. But because I have the Holy Spirit, it allows me to walk up here. And it allows me to tell John that I wanted to preach today as well. <laughs> Job and his friends are in conversations and his friends basically start to condemn him because they say the reason all this terrible stuff is happening is because Job is a wicked and sinful man. Job is all along is trying to reassure him that he's, that's not the case. In verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6 he tells us that he finally got tired of his friends telling him that he was such a bad person. It says, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams as the streams that overflow. He's basically saying, guys, you are being a terrible counselor right now. In chapter 7, verses 17 through 21, Job cries out to God and says something that I'm sure a lot of us have said or thought at one time in our lives. Something very similar. What is man that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Even this man who's blameless and upright, and God said there was no one on earth like him, he was asking God these tough, deep questions about his life, trying to figure out why he was suffering. Number two, we should refuse the temptation to blame God. Blame is the opposite of praise. You can't praise God and blame him for your suffering at the same time. Romans 9, verses 35 through 39 tells us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God alone is worthy of our praise and admiration. Our very existence, both physical and eternal, is dependent on His mercy, grace, and love. And that love is so evident because He sent His Son to die on a cross because God dislikes sin so much and loves us so much that He wants us to come to Him through our faith in Jesus. Chapter 19 of Job, he makes a statement that is to his friends that shows his undying devotion to God and how he knows within his heart how good God is. It says in verse 25 that, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Even after everything that's happened to Job and his family, his friends are consoling him, telling him that they, he should have lived a better life. Job tells them, I know that my Redeemer is still alive and He still loves me. Number three, genuine faith does not require immediate answers, but does anticipate ultimate justice. Genuine faith does not require immediate answers, but does anticipate ultimate justice. Since the book of Job is a soliloquy of poetry, I decided to choose a poem. In 1932, a gentleman named A.M. Overton was a pastor of a church in Mississippi with a wife and three small children. His wife was pregnant with her fourth child, but when it came time for delivery, there were complications and both she and the baby died. During the funeral, the preacher that was officiating the service noticed A.M. Overton writing something on a piece of paper. And after the service, the minister asked him about it and he handed him the piece of paper with a poem. And it was titled, He Maketh No Mistake. Does my father's way may twist and turn, my heart may sob and ache, but in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to Him. For by and by, the mist will lift, and plain it all He'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, He made not one mistake. You want to talk about suffering? That man wrote that poem literally in the midst of suffering. Genuine faith. You know, Job says that even if God slays me, I'll still love him. I believe in his goodness. The ultimate message of Job is that God is good. And he will ultimately make things right in the end. Let me give you an example here. Louis Braille was, was blind from the age of three. He went to a school for the blind in Paris, France. At age 19, he became an instructor. Then he invented the Braille system so that people that are born with blindness can read books just like we can. 
It says in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And then God speaks directly to Job, starting in chapter 38, in verse 3. He says, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. It just got real in this conversation. God saying, okay, I'm ready to talk to you, and you better be ready. He goes on to ask Job a series of questions about when God created the universe. Like, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Hmm. I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And God continues to question Job about his animals and the routine that they have day to day. And then God says in verse 2 of chapter 40, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure a very, very frightened Job answers with, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Basically saying, God, I don't, okay, I'll shut up. This, this is something that I kind of struggled with early in my faith journey. You know, I was just on fire. I was always wanting to pray to God. I was talking to Him. And it took me a while to figure out that I just need to slow down and listen to what He's saying to me. You know, whether it be through an interaction with somebody, uh, looking at a field of flowers, or, of course, during my Bible study. He is present. God continues to ask Job about His creation. Questions that only God can answer. And Job responds with, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Well, that sounds like the pen. And we were in the midst of trials, suffering, struggles, whatever you want to label them, hard times. I know it gets tough, and there are going to be some days where where it may seem like life has it out for you. Let me tell you, prayer powerful. Think about it. We have, a, we have been given an avenue to talk to God directly. Every member of this church can tell you how powerful prayer is. I mean, we have a room dedicated just to prayer. We have a, an email that you can send. We have an email address you can send out. Just need prayer now at Harlan Church. You need prayers? We send it to them. And that is disseminated to what we call prayer warriors. For when they get the email, they will automatically start praying for you. And it is powerful. But pray for perseverance to get through the hard times and know that God is a good God. He's a redeeming God who doesn't want you to feel like life is tearing you down. He's right next to you, helping you through them. I like the seatbelt. It's gonna it's not gonna keep you from getting into an accident, but it's there to help you survive through the accident. The Bible never says that a Christian's life will be free of trouble. God doesn't promise us we'll get around them, but He will get us through them. Now, at the end of the book, God tells Job's friends that He's angry with them. He tells them to go sacrifice a burnt offering, and Job's going to pray for him, and that God will accept that prayer. Now, God knew that Job's heart was true. Job's friends spoke about God, but Job spoke to God. Their arrogance caused them to claim knowledge that they, they didn't have. They thought they knew why Job was suffering. God knew all along. 
After Job prays for his friends, the Bible says that God made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. It says that God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. His livestock was doubled in size, blessed with ten children, seven sons and three daughters, and the daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. That's back before they had shotguns. So, Now, Job lived to be 140 years and got to see his great, great, great grandchildren. God doesn't allow us to suffer for no reason. Maybe that reason may be hidden in the mystery of his purpose. And maybe we never find out in this life why. But we must trust in Him as the God who does what is right. You know, growing up, not knowing who Jesus was, but because of the unconditional love of my parents, uh, I can look back and see the fingerprints and footprints of God throughout my life. There was this uh, time where my dad taught me what grace was when I was just a kid. Uh, This kid that lived in our neighborhood, he was in high school, and I was in elementary at the time, so he was much older than me. He got kicked off the school bus. And for some reason, my dad had picked me up from school that day, and we were driving down Leavenworth Road, which was right over here in Kansas City, Kansas, over there off 435. This kid, Kevin, was walking home from school. And my dad slowed down, pulled over, and whistled, pointed to the back of the truck. Kevin hopped in, and we took him home. Now, my dad probably doesn't remember that, but I'll never forget it. I mean, this kid was mean to a lot of other kids, and that's why he got kicked off the bus. And we lived in a small town, so my dad most likely knew why that kid was walking home. But God put it on my dad's heart to show me that love isn't limited. It doesn't just select everybody deserves it. Just like the waves of the ocean. Never stops. You just have to go to it. Now, most of you here have heard my testimony about the decisions that I made in my 20s. And first tell you the truth, I couldn't find out or figure out where God was at that time. But then, of course, God steps in and puts a gorgeous brunette in my life. Her name is Sarah Myers. She told me about this Jesus guy who put the sins and struggles that I was going with in him and on his body so that I don't have to die to my addiction. He'd already fought that battle. The battle that I was fighting had already been won. The blood that was spilled when Jesus was crucified redeemed me to live a life for what is right. Now the book of Job to me points to the life and ministry of Jesus. The cross cross shows that at the heart of history there's undeserved suffering that makes possible for undeserved blessing. Because a righteous man suffered unrighteous people like you and I can experience mercy and grace. You know, as we walk with Job through his trials and we watch Jesus go through his, with the Spirit of God within us, we are enabled to endure our own troubles with patient faith. And as we start a new week, I hope that we keep how good our God is on our hearts and lips to tell somebody of the redeeming power that Christ Jesus gives to us. He died bearing our sins and then rose three days later, ate, walked, talked with his disciples, and then went back to heaven to spend with his Father so that we too can go back and spend eternity with him. 
you know, those who are struggling with something today on their hearts this morning, they're in need of prayers. There's going to be a shepherd up front here along with myself as we sing this drum leads us in this next song. Now, come forward. Now, if you're not something you're comfortable with, like I said, there's an email there. There are plenty of people here that would love just stop somebody. My, my phone number is in the bulletin. You guys want prayer. Text me. Call me. Please know, God will never leave your side. He loves you too much to give up on. I want to end in prayer, but first I want to read you some words from First Peter. So, would you mind standing? We'll, we'll, I'll pray and then we'll uh, draw and lead us in worship here. I'll read this scripture. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's pray. Father God, you told the sun to rise this morning, and I thank you so much for that, just giving us all another day to to worship you and to share how awesome your love is. God, I just I want to pray for anybody that is going through a struggle right now that's just something on their heart just makes them question you and God, just be with them, continue to comfort them and just know that you are a good God and that you love everyone. That you will be there with us while we go through these struggles. And it may not be known why in this life, but God, I know that you will redeem us and tell us and just everything that you will teach us about this life, we will know. God, I just thank you so much for for your love and sending your son down here to, to teach us about how to live and so that we can spend eternity with you. We have faith in Jesus. God, thank you so much. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.